Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor John Rasmussen at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Good morning. It's good to be with you. It's good to see your faces today. Uh, let's go ahead and take out our, our booklets, our GD4L booklets. Um, of course, if you don't have one of those, you can grab one uh, back at the ministry center. It is really good to have those as we go through the sermon series for a couple of reasons. One, it's really, it, it's a way of us intentionally showing up to church and saying, I'm here to grow. I'm here to take some notes. I'm here to think about the sermon. Um, but also, there's content for you to read for each week. And so, last week, uh, we read chapter one. And we're going to preach on chapter 1 today. As we leave here today, we'll read chapter 2, and then we'll preach on chapter 2 next week. Uh, What page is that on? I left my journal in my office. 18, okay. Page 18 is the notes page. There you go. Okay, so this is our second GD4L sermon in our series. We are uh, talking about our new mission statement at Holy Cross growing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus Christ for life. And as we begin today, uh, I want to ask a couple really important questions. Uh, Why does Holy Cross Lutheran Church exist? What is the purpose, right? Why are we here? And then furthermore, more individually, why do you belong to Holy Cross Lutheran Church? Why are you a part of this, this, uh, this community? It's important that we ask those why and what for questions, because if we know our why, and it's a why given to us from God, from the scriptures, and we pursue that why, we have unity, and we're achieving the purposes God has called us to achieve, right? But if we have a false why, or a maybe slightly out of tune why, uh, then we're going to be running in different directions, and we're not going to see eye to eye on what we're supposed to be doing, why we're a community, and why we're part of this community. And so today we're really thinking about these basic questions. Why does Holy Cross exist? What's our purpose? And why do you belong to Holy Cross Lutheran Church? Now, some of you might have a ready answer for that. Some of you, you know, Maybe haven't really thought through that very much, uh, but we want to work on that today. Now, it's really nice that Jesus just gave us a why. We don't have to go looking for it very hard. Uh, In fact, if you read the four Gospels, each of the four Gospels really end with a why from Jesus about why we exist as a church and what it means to be a part of it. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see in the stories of the early church why the church exists. I think that Matthew 28, which is really the basis of our mission statement, is a good expression of our why, our purpose from God. Let's just read Matthew 28 together. This is called the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus recently being raised from the dead, as he's about to ascend into heaven, speaks these words. Let's read it together. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, I guarantee you that by the end of this sermon series, you're going to remember 
these words because this, the last song we sing is going to get stuck in your head. It's been in my head all week. Um, go and make disciples. Now, if we could really just boil down the mission of the church, uh, plain and simple, it's this. Make disciples. Grow disciples. Next week, we're going to talk more in, a, uh, more in depth about what a disciple is. And just to give you a, a little bit of a description of what a disciple is, a disciple is one whose whole entire life has come under the authority of Jesus Christ as Lord. Because remember, all authority belongs to Jesus. And so to become a disciple means we follow him and our whole entire lives, every corner of our lives is coming under his good and gentle authority. That means the, your past and your mistakes come under his authority. It means your present comes under his authority. It means his future, your future is under his authority. You see that? And so what we're aiming at here in this sermon series and in our mission statement is to have a mindset shift to what I would call a discipleship mindset. A disciple mindset where we are growing together, where we're focused on following Jesus together, being his disciples and coming under his good and gentle authority. Um, so we would say that Holy Cross Lutheran Church exists to grow disciples who make other disciples. And then we would also say that I am a part, I am a member of Holy Cross Lutheran Church so that I might grow as a disciple and help other disciples grow. That's our purpose. Now, that is a wonderful, beautiful purpose to have because the truth is that this congregation exists and you've come to faith in Christ because other Christians heard God's why in the Great Commission and fulfilled it. Nothing would have happened if the disciples heard that Great Commission from Jesus and they said, yeah, I got other things to do, right? I'm busy. But Peter, James, John, all the disciples, they heard the, the great commission given to them by Jesus, and they went, and they, they went and made disciples, and those disciples made disciples, and those disciples made disciples, and passed it on from one generation to another, to another, to another, until our church has come into existence, because our church is an echo of the great commission but we're also called now to be a living expression of it as we take the gospel to the next generation and to our community. Now, this discipleship mindset is a good mindset to have, uh, but we need to be aware that from the very beginning of the church, the church has always been tempted by having another purpose or adopting another why for its existence. And, and so this is when we, we maybe embrace an entirely different why, or maybe we get a little bit off-center in our reason for existing as a church. And we see it even in the Gospels. Uh, Luke 22, right after the disciples had their first communion with Jesus, they're bickering about who's the greatest. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. That was their why. The disciples were focused on uh, prestige and power and, and, and status and recognition. And Jesus says to them, no. Uh, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus shows them what it means to be great in his kingdom by washing their feet and then going as a servant and dying for their sins. And so, so do you see how Jesus is giving them a different why? He's showing them a different why rather than their own power, greatness, and success. 
In 1 Corinthians, we see kind of the same problem in our epistle reading today. Paul says there's divisions in the church of Corinth. And oftentimes, churches have divisions because we're not clear on our why. We have different purposes for the church's existence. And so, in Corinth, the church uh, was suffering from really pride and an obsession with appearance and status. And so, you had people really fixated on Paul and saying, I'm a Paul guy. And then you had other people really fixed on Cephas, which is the Aramaic name for, for Peter. That's Peter. They were fixed on Peter, and they're like, I'm a Peter guy. And other people were like, I'm an Apollos guy. I like his preaching. I'm, follow, I'm following him. And so, the church got fractured and splintered because it was obsessed with personality rather than God's word preached and the building up of community. Uh, we can think to other times in the church's history where, say, the church of Rome in the 16th century was obsessed with money and wealth and power, and that's really what led to the reformation of the church, right? So we need to be aware of what are maybe false whys in the church. Today, I want to address two false whys at Holy Cross. You can read about these in more detail in the last chapter in the booklet. But I want to talk about them today, because if we embrace these false whys, if we're influenced by these other purposes for the church that maybe we're aware of, but we're not even aware of sometimes, then we are going to struggle to achieve the purposes God has called us to. We will be confused about the purpose of the church and why we belong to it. Now, a little bit of a warning, um, there's... A possibility, maybe a likelihood, that as I describe these two false whys, that you might be uncomfortable, convicted, or offended, right? Uh, but a few words about that. First of all, um, I hope that you, if you've ever talked to me in the narthex, you've ever had conversations with me, I really hope it's apparent to you in my demeanor and in my conversation with with me that I love you and I care about you as your pastor. And so whenever I'm called by God to preach uh, about some area where we need to repent, I'm doing that out of love for you, right? You see, it makes all the difference in the world if somebody's going to say this, not that. It makes all the difference in the world if you know that person cares about you and loves you and has your best in mind, right? Uh, the second thing to be aware of is, is this, is that whenever I'm going to call you to repentance from the pulpit, it's because God first called me to repentance. Both of these false whys I've been guilty of in my life, I've been convicted of in my life, and I've had to turn and repent. See, this is, I, I think the most fundamental task of a preacher even more important than writing the sermon is that I submit myself to the authority of God's Word. I spend a lot of time in God's Word. I submit my heart to God's Word and to prayer, and that God works on me and, and says, repent, because I love you. His kindness leads me to repentance, so that then when I get up here and preach, that I'm asking you to join me in repentance. Do you see that? We repent together in the church, Right? We're all in it. We're in the trenches of repentance together because repentance is good. It's life-giving. Uh, the third thing to be aware of is there are a lot of things in life that are worse than being offended or feeling uncomfortable. We don't grow unless we get uncomfortable. 
Jesus, in our gospel reading today, he had a message, and that message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. That made people uncomfortable, and it offended people. But it also brought life and comfort to people, right? Whenever the status quo is upset, there's always going to be anxiety. There's going to be feelings of discomfort. But we need to preach in such a way, or we're always going to just keep going the same direction we're going, and we won't grow, right? So be aware of your emotions as I'm working through these two false whys, as I'm describing them and talking about them, because it's really good to be aware of your emotions in response to a sermon, because when you feel offended or you feel convicted or you're maybe squirming in your seat a little bit, like when you have that experience in a sermon, one of two things is happening. Either God is softening your heart by the Holy Spirit and His kindness is leading you to repentance and deeper growth in Christ so you can enjoy the fullness of His forgiveness. That's a beautiful thing. Or you are hardening your heart to the voice of the living God. And when we do that again and again and again, it becomes harder to hear God's Word and we can even harden our hearts to the point where we can't hear, won't hear, won't repent. Right? So do you see what's at stake here? All right. So false why number one, and I want to contrast these each with a discipleship mindset. So in comparison to a, a discipleship mindset that Jesus gives us, the false why number one is cultural Christianity. My definition of cultural Christianity is we think that the church is just a nice part of our lives but not essential to our growth as Christians. It's kind of an added-on, optional thing, right? And so to describe cultural Christianity, this would be when church is a family heritage that we pass on without really experiencing a transformation of heart or life. It's when I'm just a Christian because my parents were Christians or my grandparents were Christians or I kind of married into it. Like, I wouldn't be seeking God or in the church, but my spouse was, and so I'm kind of along for the ride, right? Um, It was just kind of a convenience thing. Um, Now, don't get me wrong. It's a beautiful thing when one generation passes the faith to the next generation and on and on. That's a beautiful thing. But what we're talking about here is where, you know, we're just passing this along in the same way where we might pass along a love for a certain sports team, or we might pass along like some customs or traditions that we keep at Christmas time, right? It's it's not something that's broken into our heart. We haven't had a living encounter with Christ where He really changes our hearts and brings us to true and lasting faith in Him. We call this cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity is when the church is helpful and useful. It teaches us good morals kind of like the Boy Scouts, right? And so, you know, we just want the church to be involved in our kids' lives so that they don't grow up and make poor choices. We want them to be respectable, moral people. And it's not so much centered in the saving love of Jesus Christ for desperate sinners, right? Cultural Christianity is when the church is a helper, the church is there for special occasions, and for emergencies, but it's not there for actively growing us together as disciples, shaping us in the love of Christ. Cultural Christianity is when the church is optional, and so you can rarely, if ever, attend, sort of the way that we might treat a gym membership. Like, we want to be members, 
but we're not going to really attend and participate. A friend of mine, uh, Pastor Jeff Clater, uh, he was a pastor that I learned under in seminary um, at his church in St. Louis, Christ Memorial. Uh, he recently preached a sermon last week called The State of the Church, and in that sermon, he was addressing some ways that his congregation was in tune, like we talked about last week in our sermon, but he was also addressing some ways that the church that he serves is out of tune, and he said the biggest challenge, the biggest threat to our faith is not what's out there in the world, but it's what's inside the church, and he described this as comfortable, casual Christianity, which I would call cultural Christianity. And he described it this way. He, he told the story about how he and his teenage daughter were driving through uh, their, their community where they live, and, and she saw the library, and she said, Dad, we haven't been to the library in like forever. And he was like, yeah, I guess we haven't been to the library. Uh, kind of forgot that it was there. And he went on to describe about how many, many professing Christians will have a relationship with the church that's very much like the library. Because um, here's the thing about the library. Like, you can go to the library anytime you want or not. Nobody's going to call you at the library and say, we've missed you. I don't think they do. They've never called me. <laughs> Uh, you, you're not put on the inactive list at the library, I don't think, um, right? Um, it's kind of a low-stakes community. It's like, you can come if you want or not. And, and so I think that many times we in the church will treat church like the library. We're, we'll go for certain occasions. We'll go if, we need the, if the kids need to go to the library, but we're not going to go habitually. It's not going to be the center of our life and discipleship. And so some symptoms of cultural Christianity are these. It's when we want baptism apart from discipleship. It's when we want the baptism of our kids to be on demand but without discipleship. It's when we want confirmation without church attendance, either before or after. And maybe we'll show up for church during confirmation, but afterwards we're not here much because we got the ticket. Uh, cultural Christianity is when we want a wedding in the church, but we don't want to live as the bride of Christ. It's when we think that being a Christian is a personal thing rather than a public thing. It's when we don't really hunger for God's word or hunger for Holy Communion. And honestly, we could miss Holy Communion for a couple months and not even feel like we're missing anything. That's cultural Christianity. Now, I want you to note the difference between cultural Christianity and a discipleship mindset that we're seeking to embrace. Cultural Christianity says, how much do I need to do? What's the bare minimum I need to still be a member? A discipleship mindset says, instead, look at how much Jesus has done for me, and everything else follows. Cultural Christianity says, I can be a member of a church and rarely attend, but a discipleship mindset says, I am a living member of the body of Christ, and I'm tied together with the people of my faith community. Cultural Christianity says, just tell me what I need to do to get the kids confirmed. But a discipleship mindset says, how can we as parents live as disciples of Jesus who raise disciples of Jesus? Cultural Christianity says that Jesus is a part of my life, but a discipleship mindset says Jesus is my life and I have nothing good apart from him. 
cultural Christianity says, Jesus, take the wheel when things are bad. A discipleship mindset says, Jesus, I want you to drive all the time. Cultural Christianity prays and seeks God when there's a problem, but a discipleship mindset prays and seeks God simply because of who God is and the beauty of what he's done for us in Christ. So what is the danger of cultural Christianity? Because honestly, I could leave this idol alone and maybe I'd be more popular as a pastor, right? I could just leave it alone, just don't touch it. But there's a danger here. There's a danger to cultural Christianity. At the very least, the danger of cultural Christianity is that we as the church lose our saltiness. We lose our light. We, we, we fail to bear witness to the world, and we even misrepresent Jesus to the world. And so the world looks at the cultural Christianity church and says, so? No different than the world, right? But at the worst, the danger of cultural Christianity is that it could lead to us not being with the Lord in this next life. And so look what Jesus says in Luke 13. And in many ways, I think Jesus in these words is speaking to the cultural Judaism of his day. He says this, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. And then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. It's a really tragic story that Jesus tells. He's telling it about the day of judgment, right? And, and so many people would would think that they were part of the kingdom because they knew who Jesus was instead of actually knowing Jesus. People would be mistaken in thinking that close proximity to Jesus meant being in Christ, right? And so to apply this to our situation with cultural Christianity, we can imagine, sadly, people saying on the last day to Jesus, but I was baptized, but I was confirmed, but I was a member of a church, but I went to VBS. And tragically, sadly, the Lord's saying, but I don't know you, right? So what do we do with this? Um, well, when we hear God's word and it, and it pushes on our heart, we, we always repent, right? And repent means simply we change our minds, we turn back to God, we seek his forgiveness and his help. And so we need to ask ourselves, in what ways does cultural Christianity weaken our mission at Holy Cross? And I will tell you, I believe that cultural Christianity is deeply rooted in the habits of central Nebraska. And I hear this from every other pastor I talk to in both the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate and other pastors I know here in this community. Cultural Christianity is deeply rooted in this community. So we need to repent. So where does cultural Christianity show up in my life or in my relationships with Holy Cross? And how is God calling me to repent? See, the good news is this, is that the only thing that can heal cultural Christianity is the good news of the gospel. You know, I could, I could really just kind of say, 
no more cultural Christianity, and maybe we'd kind of, you know, sober up for a little bit, right? But it's only the, the, the love of Jesus Christ that can heal this idol. Because it's only the love of Jesus Christ that didn't give part or most, but gave everything. And so when we look at the cross, we see that Jesus Christ, in love for you, when you could give him nothing, gave you everything. And so to quote a a famous hymn, when I survey the wondrous cross, the last stanza, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. We give everything to Christ because he first gave us everything, right? False wine number two. I call this one consumer Christianity. And the definition of consumer Christianity is we think that the church exists to meet our perceived needs and wants. And so to describe consumer Christianity, church becomes a consumer experience. And so it's all about what I get instead of how I can give and and build other people up. Consumer Christianity is when we're only committed to our church as far as it's convenient or fits our schedule. I recognize that parking is a huge problem at Holy Cross, especially if you come to this service. Raise your hand if you think, man, parking's kind of a mess, especially when you got all these like, spaces that are covered with snow, right? Um, but consumer Christianity would say, you know what, I'm not going to go to church today because parking is too bad. Um, when we would at the same time walk about nine or ten blocks to go to a Husker game and pay 30 bucks to park, right? You see the problem there, right? Right. Um, I think that we see consumer Christianity show up in our, the way that people respond to our NTV service on, on TV or our online YouTube service. And once again, I'm speaking this gently as a pastor. It's just a pastor who just desires to see you in worship and to get to know you, right? Um, The purpose of our NTV worship service or our online uh, YouTube service is for those who would come to church if they could, but they can't because they're in a nursing home or they're in a hospital or they're going through a real rough patch in life or maybe, um, maybe Walking on ice is a real worry, like the weather right now, or maybe somebody who's never heard the gospel, or maybe somebody who's been disconnected from the church for a long time, and, and they're beginning to hear the word of God, and the goal would be that they would join a church and be part of a living community of disciples. But the purpose of our NTV broadcast is not for the sake of convenience, and I, I'm concerned as a pastor it's become a convenience thing where it's just really nice to be in your pajamas and have your coffee and sit on the couch and experience worship that way. But we're missing out on things God has given you as a great gift to have holy communion together, to be in the bodily presence of other Christians. These are essential things for us as believers, right? Consumer Christianity is when the authority of my preferences and feelings are more important than the authority of God's word. Where we're, gonna, we're not going to so much ask, what does Jesus say to whom all authority has been given? But what do my feelings or my opinions say? Consumer Christianity, uh, when it does not get its way in the church, it will either throw a fit, make a scene, or leave. Some symptoms of cultural Christ- or consumer Christianity, some symptoms are complaining. 
uh, is a very uh, pronounced syndrome uh, symptom that we're just complaining, that we're just not happy. We, in a way, become sort of backseat drivers. So we're going to complain about the music that it wasn't to our liking. We're going to complain about the sermons that we didn't get anything out of that sermon. We're going to, we're going to uh, complain about the programs and how they don't work with our schedule or with our preferences. In, in consumer Christianity, we easily get offended and we easily leave. We treat relationships with other Christians in a community of faith as expendable and not sacred and enduring. Very often in consumer Christianity, we're going to say, I go to this church because of pastor so-and-so, and and when that pastor leaves, we leave too, right? Just like I follow Paul, I follow Peter, I follow Apollos. Consumer Christianity is when we only come to the church service that fits our preferences. And so I asked 8 o'clock service today, I said, 8 o'clock service, if you slept in through your alarm and you missed the 8 o'clock service that you love so much, would you come to 9.30 or 11 or 6? And I promised them I'd say to 9.30 and 11, if for some reason you were not able to come to 9.30 or 11, would you simply just go to 8 o'clock? And maybe the hymns and the liturgy are not your thing, but you still heard God's word and received his sacrament and got to be with other Christians, right? So often we just want church to be tailor-made for us. We want it to be kind of like it's all about me. Consumer Christianity is, is when we leave our church without telling anyone. Now, I want you to note the difference between consumer Christianity and, and a discipleship mindset. Consumer Christianity says, I didn't get anything out of church today. But a, disciple minds, a discipleship mindset says, I got to be with other Christians. I heard God's word preached to me. I was told that my sins are forgiven, and I received the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. What more could I ask for? Consumer Christianity focuses on appearances and experiences. Discipleship mindset focuses on building relationships with other Christians. Consumer Christianity walks away from disappointments or difficulties in the church. A discipleship mindset grows through disappointments and difficulties and seeks solutions and reconciliation and grows through it. Consumer Christianity complains. A discipleship mindset looks for godly solutions and becomes a part of the solution, right? So what's the danger of consumer Christianity? Well, the danger, I believe, is twofold. The one danger is that we remain in a state of immaturity in our faith, that we remain infants or children in the faith, and, and we don't grow up in the faith because I'm convinced that one of the greatest factors for you and I remaining in the faith and, and growing deep roots is when we are committed to our church community for the long haul. Now, you might move, right? You might move to a different town and you get a different church right? You might study the scriptures hard, and you might say, Pastor John, I think the Baptists are right. I don't think we should baptize babies, just adults. Okay, if that's your, your persuasion because you studied the scriptures and you, you changed your theological convictions, then maybe you should go to a different church, right? But it's the, the most normal, healthy thing for a Christian is to be in a church for the long haul where you're going to outlast the pastors, Right? You're just going to remain there because you, you recognize the sacred nature of the relationships with other Christians. 
This is your family. These are your people. And through difficulties and disappointments and struggles and trials in the church, we actually grow through those things. So the things that would cause people to actually leave a church in a certain season actually become the very thing that God is going to use to mature you and deepen you as you learn reconciliation, as you learn to be disappointed, right? But not ever disappointed with Christ, right? The, the second um, problem with or danger with consumer Christianity is we fail to build others up in the faith. Because once again, we're saying it's about me, not about how I can help and build other people up. What if we came to church with that attitude of who can I build up? Who can I encourage? Wouldn't that be beautiful? Right? And I know that so many of you do. Um, and so we have to ask the question, what does repentance look like for us? In what ways does consumer Christianity weaken our mission at Holy Cross? And where does consumer Christianity show up in my life, in my relationship with Holy Cross, in my conversations after church? And how is God calling me individually to repent? I can tell you, friends, that I, I've been there, right? I was baptized at a Methodist church at the age of five and did not darken the doors of a church very much, if at all, my childhood. I grew up in cultural Christianity. I believe that Jesus saved me out of that, right? Um, when I graduated college and I, and I went and moved back to Omaha, I didn't go back to the church that I was in before college. I just circled around finding out what's the best fit for me, and I was perpetually in a state of disappointment. It just wasn't a right fit for me until I went to seminary and they assigned me to a church and I was stuck. <laughs> I was, and, and I, I was like, there were things that, that I wasn't impressed with, but I got to know the people in their weakness, right? The people in all of our brokenness as Christians, and they loved me and I loved them, and that, that was a huge point of growth for me is when I was stuck with the, with the body of believers because it's then that I started to really mature as a Christian. Um, you see, the only thing that can heal consumer Christianity once again is the gospel of Jesus Christ because Jesus' death, his, his saving of your soul was not convenient at all. It was splinters on a back already whipped raw. Not convenient Everything that Jesus did in his, in his life on this earth was not convenient, but he did it for you because he loves you. And it's his love and his love alone that calls us out of this consumer attitude because when we know how absolutely loved and forgiven we are in Christ, we can say, you know, it's not about me. It's about the people around me. It's about Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you love your church. You love every single person here. You don't love us because we're good disciples. You don't love us because we're in tune, but it is your love that shapes us and heals us and forms us. And Lord, today as a community, my prayer is that we would together repent and continue to repent and that we do that joyfully with one another. Thank you, God, that your mercies are new every morning. For as often as we fail or make mistakes, your grace is greater. And so today, Lord, we trust, we rest our entire lives upon the love of Christ as we repent together. 
And we pray that in our repentance, you would plant and grow good things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.